Hey, has anyone set any New Year's resolutions? Anybody set resolutions? All right, cool. We're eight days into January. Has anyone broken all your resolutions yet? You know, I, I used to set resolutions. I, I kind of framed it more as goals that I had that I would build around my various roles and responsibilities. I actually came across this old journal entry from uh, 2017. So what's that? Six years ago, I had charted out all my roles and responsibilities. And I had set goals for each and every one of them. Guess how well that went in 2017? It's kind of overwhelming to look at, right? I I had spiritual life, I had goals for marriage, for parenting, for finance, for physical health, for family discipleship, for friendships, for extended family, for house stuff, for work, for leisure, for rest. It's just overwhelming. So many areas to consider. Where do we prioritize? What should I prioritize? And then last year, I was having lunch with Dax, and he mentioned a, a more simple framework. He calls it the five targets. So last year and this year, I've been setting goals based upon five targets. A little more manageable, right? Faith, family, friendships, finances, and fitness. But still, even in those five, you have to prioritize. What to focus on? Where to start? Which priority is most important? And if you think about it, even as a church, there are so many things we could be focused on. There are dozens of really, really important aspects of our faith and life together. There's evangelism, there's missions, worship, community, giving, serving, compassion, hospitality, discipleship, spiritual disciplines, not to mention all these areas of theology that we can study. Nature of God, attributes of God, Christology, pneumatology, ecclesiology, eschatology. It can be easy to get overwhelmed. So many things for us as Christians to know and to do. Where do we start? Where do we focus? But what if, out of all these things that I just mentioned, what if we could discover one thing that was most important? And what if that one thing was actually the ground on which everything else in our Christian life and faith was built? We believe that there is such a primary thing, and this series that we're embarking into today will help us unpack that together. Last week, when uh, Todd kicked off the year, he mentioned Philippians 1, verse 27, which, which says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is our hope, not only for this series, but for our lives together as a church. That increasingly, we would be a people centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So together, over the next four weeks, side by side, we're going to be walking through this topic of the gospel. We're going to slow down at the beginning of the year. We're going to look closer. We're going to dig deeper into and consider how the gospel changes everything. How the gospel changes everything. So let's pray this morning as we begin. Spirit of God, we we come before you as the people of God in desperate need for you to speak to us through the word of God this morning. Spirit, would you do a work in our minds and do a work in our heart that changes us? In this next 40 minutes together, would you change us? Would you shape us 
would you conform us more to the image of Christ? Spirit, I pray that out of all the words that are said this morning, out of all the verses that are looked at this morning, I pray that there would be one thing that you would do in each of our hearts. I pray that there would be one thing that would just grab hold of us deeply, be cemented in our hearts and our minds that would affect us in this year of 2023 ahead. Lord, we come to you now as your people, arms open, hearts open to receive what you have. Would you speak? Would you do a good work in us and among us this morning? We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to be teaching from the ESV this morning, the English Standard Version. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing in 56 AD, so long, long time ago, to a church in the city of Corinth. And if you've read 1 Corinthians, you know that he's writing to answer a series of questions that this church had about various topics of life and faith together. And along the way, Paul provides some pretty vital course correction for this church and how they're living and operating together. The letter essentially culminates here in chapter 15. So I think it's really important that we tune in and focus this morning. Look at verse 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 and 2. Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul says, I would remind you of the gospel. So what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, the word itself means good news. The gospel is good news of something that has happened. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel is not a good idea. The gospel is not good vibes or good feels. The gospel is good news of a series of events that have happened in history. And these events have radically reshaped everything. The gospel is good news of what God has done for us in Christ. And the gospel we see here is news to be heard. Can't just be seen, it needs to be heard. It's a word that is heard. Paul preaches, the people in Corinth hear, and once you hear the news, you've got to do something with it. So you can either receive it and believe it, or reject it and deny it. Notice the two words in verse 1 and 2, receive and believe. It's just like John chapter 1 verse 12. Check it out. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The gospel is not something we strive to earn. The gospel is not something we work to achieve. The gospel is a free gift to be received. And once you receive and believe it, it changes the trajectory of your life forever. You become a child of God, adopted in by the Most High himself, given all the divine rights and privileges of being a child of the King. So the gospel is good news. 
And it's good news that non-Christians need to hear, right? Those who are far from God, your friends and family who don't yet know God, not yet Christians need to hear the good news, don't they? Romans 10, verse 14 says it. How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they've not yet heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching to them? The progression there is clear. We must go and proclaim the gospel to those who don't yet know so that they can hear, believe, receive, and call upon Jesus for salvation. The gospel is the good news that all of our friends and family who don't yet know Christ need to hear. But that group of people is not who Paul is writing to here in 1 Corinthians 15. Why here is Paul reminding Christians of the gospel? These Christians, these brothers and sisters had already heard the gospel. They had already received the gospel. So why is Paul reminding Christians of something they already know? Apparently, they kept forgetting it. Not cognitively forgetting, like, what was that thing about Jesus again that Paul told us? They didn't cognitively forget it, but they practically forgot the gospel. They functionally forgot the good news. In the day-to-day, in the everyday stuff of life, the gospel was no longer the central shaping power in their life together as a church. These Christians in Corinth, if you read up to chapter 15, you'll see that they had become distracted by other things. Some of those things were important. Some of those things were not important. Some of those distractions were sinful. Some of those distractions were not sinful. Many things, a variety of things other than the gospel had become central or at least more essential than the gospel. And these Christians in Corinth are not unlike us. We too need to be reminded regularly of the gospel because we are oh so prone to forget, to become distracted, to make other things more central and essential than the good news of what God has done for us in Christ. You know, the gospel is not something we receive once at conversion and then move on to other things. The gospel is the good news we need as Christians every moment of every day. The gospel's not one topic among many in our Christian lives. The gospel is the topic in which everything else finds its place. So let me give you a few illustrations to help draw out this point. I came across these uh, the past few weeks. So for those who drive, anyone drive a car? All right, for those who drive, here's an illustration for you. The gospel's not jumper cables to get the Christian life started. Right, my, my battery died, uh, I think, last week or so, so I pulled out the jump, jumper cables, hooked up the car, got it back going again. The gospel is not jumper cables to get the Christian life started. The gospel is the engine that keeps the Christian life going. So every time you get in your car this week and you hear the engine rumble up, um, think of the gospel. The gospel is the engine that keeps our Christian lives moving forward. All right, for you students, here's another one. Any students in here? All right. For you students, the gospel is not one class among many that you'll attend during your life as a Christian. The gospel is the whole building that all the classes take place in. 
excuse me. So every topic we study together here on Sunday mornings or in your small group or in your personal life of devotion, every topic you study is within the walls, within the building of the glorious gospel. One more illustration. The gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian faith. It's the A through Z. The gospel is just not the basics that get you into the family of God. The gospel is the language we speak our entire lives as the family of God. Take a look at verse one and two again. Everything we are and everything we do as Christians is grounded in the gospel in which we stand by which we are being saved. And if we were to rewind to the beginning of the letter uh, to the Corinthians, Paul says in chapter one, verse 18, that the gospel, the, the word of the cross, is the power of God to those who are being saved. He says the same thing in chapter one as he says in 15. The gospel is not only central to all that we are as Christians, The gospel is the power for all that we do as Christians. We are just as desperate for the gospel today as we were the day we first believed. But looking at 1 Corinthians, you may be thinking, well, this is just a one-off place where he mentions this, right? There's, There's no other places in the Bible that talk about this. And if you're thinking that, you're not quite correct. So let's look at a few others. Romans chapter 1, Paul says to the Christians in Rome, He tells these Christians, I am eager to preach the gospel to you, Christians, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In another letter, Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, he exhorts the Christians in Colossae to live in such a way as to not shift from the hope of the gospel. Don't shift from the hope of the gospel. Christians, don't shift from the hope of the gospel. In fact, if you read the New Testament letters, in most of Paul's letters to churches, there are sizable portions written to remind Christians of the gospel. If you read Ephesians, chapter 1 through 3 is all gospel. And then chapter 4 through 6 is instruction on how to live in light of the gospel. Colossians, chapter 1 and 2, the same way, all gospel And then chapter three and four are the practical outworkings of the gospel for everyday life. And if you've ever read Romans, you know that chapter one through 11 pack a powerful gospel punch, don't they? Which then pivots in chapter 12 to the everyday working where Paul says, therefore, in view of God's mercies, in light of these gospel realities, this is how you live. If you read the New Testament letters, and I'd encourage you to do this, It seems that re-preaching the gospel to Christians and then showing how it applies in everyday life was Paul's primary method for discipleship. Time and time again, Paul writes to remind Christians of what they already know theologically but forget functionally. And I believe this continues to be a divinely inspired pattern for us as disciples of Jesus today. Christians need to hear the gospel just as much as non-Christians do. Remembering the gospel and working out its implications for our everyday lives is how we grow as Christians. We only grow in Christ 
as we go deeper and deeper and deeper into the gospel. The gospel that Paul says in verse 3 is of first importance. Take a look, verse 3 through 5. For I delivered to you as of first importance, primary, nothing is more important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Paul gives us here some key aspects of the good news. This here in these two verses is not the full news report, but we can fill in the details with other parts of Scripture. So we, hear, we see here first that the good news starts with the truth that Christ died. Can you say it with me? Christ died. Say it again. Christ died. Man, thank you for preaching the good news back to me. So the truth that Christ died implies the fact that Christ was born, right? We just celebrated this last month. Christ was born of a virgin. God became man. Christ was born. And it also implies that Christ lived. And we learn elsewhere in Scripture that he lived a perfect life so that when he died, his death would accomplish something. So Christ was born to live, to die. Verse 3 goes on to say, for our sins. Can you say that? For our sins. That little word, for, has massive implications. Three letters, massive implications. Without the death of Christ for us, we'd still be dead in our trespasses and sins, children of wrath, right, Ephesians 2, but God. But God, through the death of Christ, opened up for us a new way to live. On the cross, Christ absorbed the wrath of God for us, the rightful wrath against sin that was directed at you and me, Christ took it upon himself. He absorbed it in our place for our sins so that you and I could go free. Amen. Christ died to accomplish salvation for us. And this is an often repeated theme in the scriptures. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake, the Father made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. For our sake, for our sin. Galatians 3 verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. At the heart of the good news lies this truth that Christ has died in our place for our sin. He died for our rebellion against a holy God. He died for our rejection of God's goodness. He died for every sin of every person, every thought, action, word, and deed, for the things that we've done, for the things that we've left undone, for the sins we're aware of and the sins we're not yet aware of. Christ died for the sins of sinners like you and me. Well, that's not all. Verse three through five continues. Paul goes on to say that Christ was buried and Christ was raised. Like literally buried. His cold, lifeless body taken down from the cross and placed 
in a tomb. But as we know from the story, that only lasted three days, right? He was only buried for three days. Because on the third, at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. Or as we sang earlier in that song, his buried body began to breathe. Picture that. Close your eyes if you would, if it's not too weird for you. Close your eyes and picture the lifeless body of Jesus laying wrapped in a tomb. And then all of a sudden, the dead heart of Jesus starts beating once again. His lifeless lungs fill up with air. The circuits of his brain start connecting once again, and up from the grave he arose. When no one was expecting it, Jesus burst forth out of the grave into victory. You can open your eyes again if you want, or keep them closed. Through his resurrection, Jesus ushered in a completely new realm. Don't miss this. He ushered in, through his resurrection, a completely new realm in which we, his people, can live. Resurrection life with resurrection power because of the resurrected Savior. The death of Jesus for our sins would mean nothing if he also didn't rise from the dead and open up for us a new way to experience new life with new power in him. Amen to that. So Christ died, he was buried, he rose, and then Paul says that he appeared, and he will appear again. How do we know that? Because twice in this text, Paul says that all of this, All of this good news has taken place in accordance with the scripture. Look, he says it twice, in accordance with the scripture. And the scriptures point us to a day when Christ will return. He will return to make all things new, to finish what he started, to reverse the curse of Satan, sin, and death. So here in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul lays out some core gospel content. We can't miss any of these foundational points that he lays out. It's core content. Christ died for our sins, was buried, was raised, then appeared. So Christians in this room, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah. So had the church in Corinth. If you're a Christian, you've already received this good news that you've heard, and you've already believed and have become children of God at some point in the past, right? But the question is, how about today? Are these good news realities that are of first importance, are these shaping every part of your everyday life today? Like right here, right now. I can't speak for you, I can only speak for myself, and I would answer that, absolutely not. I forget the gospel every single day. Not cognitively, but functionally. Practically, I forget. I become distracted by many things. Some things good, some things bad. And I lose sight of the most important thing. Every single day. Multiple times a day. 
if you were to get, my, uh, get a glimpse of my heart today and then tomorrow and then the next day, you would see that the gospel shifts from the central, it shifts from the central shaping place it ought to have in my heart to the periphery. And when that happens, something other than the gospel, things of lesser importance, take its place at the center of my heart. I often have, and I'll propose that you do as well, what, what uh, one writer calls a gospel gap. Say gospel gap. Gospel gap. We have what one writer says is a gospel gap. So throw that next picture up there. He writes that many Christians live with a big gap in their understanding of what God has done for them in the gospel. Most people understand that Jesus died so their sins can be forgiven, and most people understand that he died so they can have a future with him in eternity, but far too many Christians don't understand what Jesus has provided for them today. The gospel gap. And I think that's true. I think if we were to survey most people in this room or most Christians in our city or across the world, most understand the past reality of sins forgiven, right? And praise his name for that. Sins forgiven, every sin, action, motive, word, and deed, forgiven on the cross in the past. And most Christians, I think, understand the future gospel realities of eternal life, right? We're, we're saved from hell in heaven with Jesus, free from sin and struggle forever, and praise his name for that. But what about now? What about Monday in the midst of temptation? What about Tuesday when you just can't stop bickering with your spouse? What about Wednesday when you're screaming at your kids for no apparent reason? What about Thursday when you're slandering that person you just can't stand? What about Friday? Saturday, what about today? Is the gospel the power of God for salvation right here, right now? That's the question we're being forced to answer. Some of you may have heard these terms before, but theologians talk about justification, sanctification, glorification. Has anyone heard of that before? All right, some of you have, some of you haven't. So take a look here. We'll, we'll unpack this. So justification is that through Christ, we have been saved. It's a past reality. On the cross, justified, forgiven, the penalty of sin has been paid in the past. And then fast forward to the future, glorification, through Christ, one day when he returns, we will be saved from the presence of sin. One day sin, suffering, sorrow, tears will be no more. Justification past, glorification future. In the present, through Christ, Christians are being saved from sin's power. And that's what we call sanctification. Right here, right now, we are being saved from sin's power. And there is no area that the gospel cannot and should not affect. Learning to utilize the power of the gospel in the now is what this process of sanctification is all about. So sanctification, simple definition, is our lifelong process of growing in Christ-likeness, right? All of us, from the moment you believe, you start a life of sanctification, an ongoing process, slow, 
but steady, often slower than we like, a lifelong process of becoming more like Christ. And our sanctification, that process, is fueled by constantly returning to the gospel which saved us initially. With the Spirit's help, we grow in Christ as we go deeper and deeper into new life realities now. So let me give you a few examples uh, just to kind of show how um, the gospel changes our lives as Christians. Just a few examples to put some um, flesh on this idea. Let's just take two of our core values. So we'll look at worship and then outreach. Two things that Christians are called to do, right? So I want to show you what it looks like to live out these values with the gospel at the center versus without the gospel at the center. So let's start with worship. And when I say worship, we're not just talking about singing, which we did this morning. We're talking about responding to God in everyday life, living a life of worship before him in all that we do. So with the gospel at the center, so this is what we're aiming for, with the gospel at the center, we live from our acceptance. Accepted by God, we live from our acceptance, not for acceptance. Our worship, our lives are in response to his work, not in reliance on our work. And there's freedom and joy living from acceptance rather than for acceptance. But without the good news, if the gospel shifts from the center and becomes periphery and something else takes its place, we worship and we live for acceptance. We do things for God to try to please him or to try to appease him. And there is nothing but burnout found there. Many of us can speak from experience. So ask yourself this morning, consider, am I living right now from the acceptance I already have in Christ? Or am I living, am I striving for acceptance? Trying to earn what's already freely been given. So that's the first indicator, from or for. Are you living from acceptance or for acceptance? Next, outreach. It's kind of the same way. With the gospel at the center, we can rest. We can rest. Wouldn't it be so great to rest? With the gospel in the center, we can rest in the good news that salvation is of the Lord. He does the work to save, not us. So then we can participate joyfully and freely because salvation of other people does not depend on us. We can rest in our work of faithful obedience. We don't have to accomplish salvation. We rest in the work that God has called us to do. But without the gospel at the center, and and many of you have been here, don't you feel pressure to do the right thing, to say the right things? Without the gospel at the center, it all falls on us. Doing the work of God falls on us. We've got to accomplish the mission. We've got to evangelize the lost. We've got to go outreach. But in the gospel, we can live and serve out of our done status. It is done, it is finished, rather than a constant striving to do. 
So maybe ask yourself this morning, is my life characterized by rest in what God has done or by strain and striving for what I feel I must do? Done versus do. All right, so how do you know if the gospel is central and is shaping your life right now? Let me offer this assessment just to kind of sum up everything I've said. With the gospel at the center, you'll find yourself relying on a work and relying on a power outside of yourself rather than trying to control or achieve or accomplish something in your own strength. Let me say that again. It's really important. With the gospel at the center, you'll find yourself relying on a work and a power outside of yourself rather than trying to control, achieve, or accomplish in your own strength. Also, with the gospel at the center, and I'm speaking from negative experience in my life this week. With the gospel at the center, you'll find your heart at rest peaceful, content, slow, and steady, rather than where I was this week, full of angst, frustration, distraction, and noise. With the gospel at the center, you'll find your heart at rest, rather than distracted by frustration and noise. So rest and reliance. These are two indications of a heart centered on the gospel. Rest in him, reliance on him. But there's one more indicator, I think, and with the gospel at the center, you'll find yourself growing in ways that you can't take credit for. If the gospel is central, driving, empowering force in your life, you will find yourself growing in ways that you had nothing to do with rather than feeling the need to fix yourself, change yourself, manage your behavior. With the gospel at the center, you'll find yourself growing in ways that you cannot take credit for. So family, the work of salvation has been accomplished. Christians, we are now in a lifelong process of learning to live in all the good news realities that Jesus has made possible. So how do we respond? How do we respond today, right now? How do we respond? Well, if you're not yet a Christian, we would invite you to receive this good news of what God has done for you. Don't reject it. Don't deny it. There is new life with new power for you today in Christ alone. So receive the good news, believe the good news, and become a child of God today. We're praying that for you. If you don't yet know Christ, that's what we're praying for you. But if you are a Christian, and I'm assuming that many of you are in this room, if you are a Christian, you're you're standing in the gospel you've received. How do you respond? Well, in verse 2, there were two little words that said, hold fast. Hold fast. Fast to the gospel word I preached to you. Hold fast to the gospel. Don't let go. Cling to the gospel. Cleave to the gospel as if your life depends upon it. Rest in the gospel. Rely 
on the gospel in every area of your every single day. Maybe even look for some gospel gaps in your heart. You know, we just walked through that. Is there a gospel gap in my heart? And when you see that gospel gap, you know, the power of God's great for my past, great for my future, but right now it's not really affecting me. When you see that gospel gap, preach the gospel to yourself once again. Or reach out to a brother or sister so they can bring the good news to bear on your heart in that gap. So church family, hold fast to the gospel personally. And then collectively, let's hold fast to the gospel together. In your small groups, in your living rooms and kitchens, together over lunch or coffee, whenever you find yourself with another Christian, remember the gospel. And every single Sunday when we gather, that's all we're seeking to do. Right, We gather to remind one another of what the gospel is and what the gospel does. Good news. Every single Sunday, the people gathered in this room. I don't know if you've realized this, and if you're new, you'll probably realize this soon, but we only preach one sermon here, and we only sing one song here. There is only one message in every sermon from different texts and topics, and there's only one message in every song that we sing through different melodies and rhythms. The one message every Sunday you will hear is remember the gospel. The power of God that didn't just save you once, but continues to set us free. Christians, we need the gospel every single Sunday and every single day. So Mellon Park family, I love you. Pastors love you. Elders love you. We love you. This is really, really important. Okay, dare I say, of first importance. Out of all the things we could prioritize, let's hone in on what matters most. Nothing is more important than the gospel, which we've received, in which we stand, and by which we are being saved. So family, let's hold fast to the good news because the gospel changes everything. All right, so band, why don't you guys come on up again? We're gonna introduce you to a new song today that will reinforce all that we're highlighting during this Gospel Changes Everything series. Um, It's a new hymn. If you know it, sing it out. If you don't know it, Mark will teach it to you. Uh, There's four verses in this hymn. Verse one says, there is one gospel in which I stand. Verse two says, there is one gospel to which I cling. Verse three says, there is one gospel where hope is found. And then verse four says, and in this gospel, the church is one. So family, let's stand as one and learn this new song together. Amen. One line in there said, and in this gospel, the church is one. We do not walk alone. If you feel alone in this room today, we'd encourage you to reach out to someone next to you. Reach out to someone out in the hallway. We do not want you to walk alone. As we walk together, standing side by side in the faith of the gospel, we want to welcome you in to the good news realities of all that God is doing. So the gospel is of first importance. Let's hold fast.